I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew. And if you don't have your Bible with you, that's fine. It's going to be on the screen. You can follow along. You know, we really believe that God's Word is powerful. We believe that it's life-giving. We believe that it can transform your life. So lean in this morning as we read together. Matthew chapter 6. It says this. It says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward that they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't pray like hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, it's the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Come on, can we pray together, church, this morning? God, we love you so much. We pray this morning as we open up your word that your spirit, spirit of revelation would come, would speak to our hearts. Lord, we know that your word is there to build us up, is to stir faith. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Lord, I pray that faith would be stirred this morning. But Lord, I thank you that your word also comes to correct, it adjusts, it separates spirit and soul and bone and marrow, Lord. And I pray if we need adjustment this morning, that, we, that your spirit would come gently and adjust. Help us, Lord, to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. 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 You can grab a seat while you're doing that, while you look at your neighbor and say, you look good this morning. You look good this morning. I, um, I have a, a theory I have a theory. I'm, I'm yet to test it because uh, I'm still in my 30s and, um, you know, young enough, young enough that uh, I can't test this theory. But I have a theory that as you get older, the longer you spend in the presence of God, the longer you stay looking good, right? I'm just looking out across our congregation. I feel like there's evidence of that being true. Um, so that's my encouragement for you this morning to, to make sure that you're in the house of God uh, every week. You know, uh, it's good for you. It's good for, it's good for your physical appearance, I think, anyway. I don't know. Correct me, I don't know. There's, there's some good-looking elderly people in our church. Amen. Come on. Come. Thank you. Thank you. I, th- I thought everyone, like, over the age of 60 might be really pumped about that theory of mine, but I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. Awesome. Awesome. Are we good this morning, church? That was, that was minimal uh, response. Are we good this morning? Come on, we've just spent like 10, 15 minutes in the presence of God. That's got to do something for your soul. Amen. You know, walk in with a garment of heaviness, you leave with a garment of praise. Right? Like we come in and we're empty and we're feeling down and we're feeling like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this week. And we stand in the presence of God and somehow we go from that place to a place of faith. And we're like, you know what? God is with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This week is not going to overcome me. I am over, I'm going to overcome the world, right? Amen. 
Yeah, 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 I believe the word of God. I do not use this thing like a sword on my soul and yeah, it really works. It's what you sound like this morning. I love you though, church, you're good. Can I, can I, can I, like all jokes aside, we've got to use this thing. We've got to use this thing. It's not just called food. It's not just called a sword to sound good. This thing works. This thing's got to be truth in our life. When we come up against circumstances that are insurmountable, we get something out of this that gives us stability and strength to move through things. Come on, Scripture never promises life is not going to be difficult and we're not going to walk through the valleys and pain and those sorts of things. And there's people in here today that are walking through those things. But if we don't leave getting something from here that gives us what we need to get through another day, I mean, come on. Welcome to everyone online. You should be in church. It's good in here this morning. We're on fire in here this morning. I heard a great statement. Uh, Rachel and I, we've been away at a conference uh, this week. It was great. We weren't able to take as many people as we would have liked, uh, thanks COVID. Um, however, uh, we had a really great time. In a second, we're going to show you a little highlights video, not so that you can be jealous of what we've been doing all week. But because I want to remind us what we're a part of. It was really easy to, to, to slip into thinking that as a church, we're isolated. We look out at what's going on in the world, and we're like, man, is the church making a difference? Is the kingdom of darkness winning? You know, we read in Scripture that the kingdom of light is overcoming darkness. Oh, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, you know. Church has got to be moving for that, that to be relevant. Just, just a little side note there. But I want to remind you that we're a part of something so much bigger. We're a part of something that is advancing. Do you know that C3, we planted 17 new churches during COVID? 17 new churches. That is awesome. The kingdom of God is expanding, and sometimes we just need to see something that we can recapture the reality of the size of God's kingdom. And you couldn't all be up at the conference, but we thought that we would bring a little bit of the conference back to you. And my prayer is that you capture something seeing this. You see what God's doing in the lives of people, in the lives of our movement, um, and, and that you would leave being built up knowing that God is moving. God has a great plan for our church in this city. And um, heard a great line while I was up there. I knew I started that somewhere. And uh, there's a guy who was talking on... Uh, you know, church online, basically. Hello, everybody watching. You're awesome. We love you. Um, and he said, you know, church online, and we've talked a little bit about this, about why we put our service online. We put our service online because it's a window. It's a window for people to be able to look in, maybe because they're at a distance right now. Right? We know people, some people are away on work right now. Uh, I flew up to Queensland with Mark Cowan. I know that he, he's like, I'm going to be watching. So, hey, Mark, hope you are. It'd be awkward if you're not. Um, <laughs> But it's a window. It's a window for people who can't be here right now with us. They can still watch in. They can still watch and be a part of the community. But it's also a window so that people can find the door. It's also a window so people can find the door. And that was a statement that this guy used at conference. And it resonated so strongly with why we put something out online. Why bother being on YouTube? Can I tell you? Because it's the second biggest search engine in the world right now. I wonder how many people are trying to search for hope somewhere on the internet, and we want to be there saying, you know what, we're a window. We're a window where you can see hope so that one day you can find the door into the house of God where, where you'll find hope. So, so can we, is that right, can we, can we play that conference clip right now? Is that right, can we do that? There we go. 
Awesome. Fantastic. It was, it was great, great impartation. Uh, for those of you who uh, haven't just joined our church, maybe you're visiting today, I want to say welcome. So good to have you here with us. Maybe you're watching online and just checking us out. Uh, but for everyone else who's more of a regular, I want to let you know Pastor Keith and Janet were inducted as what's called Legends uh, in C3 at that conference, uh, which was awesome. It was incredibly honouring. For them, and uh, something that as a movement uh, we do for people that are stepping out of uh, the senior minister role, uh, but have been in that space for over 10 years. And uh, so it was a really, it was a really great moment for them. And um, we were able to catch up and see how they're doing. I think you uh, were, were told last week, I think they're up in Foster. Is that good? Yeah, sorry, we were meant to do that a few weeks ago, but uh, I had tonsillitis and we forgot. But they're doing awesome. They send their love and uh, they will be back with us once their sort of role in uh, up at Foster is, is finished. So it was great. It was a great little uh, getaway. And hopefully next year, um, restrictions are lifted and there'll be opportunity for people uh, who are a part of our church who wish to be a part of something like that uh, to be able to go and, and capture something of the culture and the heart of the movement that we're a part of. Uh, we're not a standalone church. Uh, we are C3 and uh, that is awesome. The other really great thing is the series that we have been in. How's that for a segue? Um, <clears throat> so I've been working on my segues. That one, that one needs a little bit more work. But we've been in a series coming out of Easter. It's called Jesus is Better Than. And uh, we've looked at some really great stuff that Jesus is better than. And if maybe if this is your first week and you haven't been here for the last couple, you can go and look at the last messages, uh, previous messages on, on YouTube. But Pastor Darren preached a cracker on Jesus is better than sex. And, um, it, you know, that's worth listening to, uh, possibly controversial in, in nature, but uh, he really, really addresses some incredible things in there. Uh, there's Jesus is better than your vice. Uh, and then Pastor Jez, last week, Jesus is better than money. 
All right, we think the money is everything, but the truth is it's not, right? Jesus is so much better. Security uh, in, in him is so much more stable and life-giving uh, than maybe finding that in money. And th- this morning, I kind of get to wrap up a little bow tie on top of the, the gift that has been this series. And I'm going to talk about the fact that Jesus is better than fame. Jesus is better than fame. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really quick to dismiss something like that, because most of us would look at our lives and be like, oh, well, I'm not really a celebrity, right? But drilling down into this idea of fame, and uh, I want to I just help this message this morning be relatable to you, right? Because the last thing I would want is for you to sit here this morning, you've come in, you want to receive something from God's Word, you want to be a part of the community, the body of believers, and you're like, fame, that just doesn't really translate to my life, right? But what about, what about if we broke it down, right? What about if we unpacked fame and we started talking about things like, how about being known? What about, what about, what about that idea of being rewarded and celebrated for achievement? How, how about we just use the word success? Jesus is better than success. What about being the best and people knowing it? I smell real quiet in here now, guys. Come on, just. How about, how about if instead of fame, we said the measure of our significance, value, or worth? Nah, it's a little bit more relatable now, right? Like, just gets a little bit, um, uncomfortable pants on. Here's, here's, my, here's my little statement for you. Fame is when it becomes about us. Our name, our achievement, our success. It's about, it's about me being celebrated, me being known, seen, loved, valued, desired, me being adored, glorified, worshipped. And if I could package it into one word for you this morning, rather than fame, I would use the word recognition. Recognition for achievement or status resulting in a determination of value or worth. Now it's really relatable because I think that is something that we all struggle with. We all package our value and our worth somehow in people's response to something that we have done that we want them to validate us for doing because somehow that speaks to whether or not I'm valuable or not. And so now, so now, now we're in a place where it's like, oh, oh, that's me. That's definitely me. I don't know about you. You can stay silent. I have a microphone, so I'm happy to put myself out. Say, that, that's me. I struggle with that. The disciples struggle with that. I'm glad I'm not alone. Right? Like, 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 like this is exactly what Jesus is addressing in Matthew. It's exactly what he's addressing. Right? When we go back to our opening scripture, Jesus is like, hey, hey, hey. And, and it's helpful for me because I've got a red letter Bible, so I know Jesus is saying it. I don't have to read like all of the chapters prior to see where he begins talking. I just get to look and it's in color and it's great. But, but Jesus is saying, and he's speaking to the crowd, and there's, you can imagine there's, there, there, his disciples are in the crowd. Some, there's some religious teachers. There's some Pharisees in the crowd. There's, there's, there's just regular people. Sitting, hanging out, listening to what he's saying. And he says this, he says, hey, watch out. Don't do what you do for recognition. That's my paraphrase. Don't do what you do to be seen doing it. 
That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. The pursuit in life is not to be seen, doing, or succeeding to try to prove that you're good or maybe that you're better. Ah, comparison is ah, it's such a, gets me every time. But somehow, like it helps us, we compare ourselves against someone we know we're better than because it helps make us feel good about ourselves. It works like a treat every time until there's someone else comes along who's better than us and then it's like the double-edged sword and suddenly you know, we, we find ourselves in a, in, a, in a heap again about our own self-worth and value. Actions are not what determine our worth. And we need to know that. It's not what we do. It's not, it's not what we're seen doing. It's not what we achieve. It's not, it's not what we succeed at that determines our worth in this life. And this is actually the adjustment that Jesus is trying to bring to the crowd because, because they've been operating in a system where it was absolutely their level of achievement, what they were able to do that, that translated to whether they were good or not, acceptable or not, valuable or not in the eyes of God, right? So they are in a system that is absolutely geared towards my action, what I am seen doing determines my goodness, And Jesus is like, it's, it's, not, it's not what it's about, guys. Stop trying to prove your worth by performing for other people. You see, when our worth and value is linked to our performance, right, right and in, in particular when it's, when it's the one that is seen by others, we're trapped. We're trapped in their validation. And so we give them permission over our lives to determine our value. Whoever validates you has the permission to value you. That's a scary thought. I want to ask you this morning, who right now is coming to mind that you have given permission to, to validate you, to value you? Who do you care the most about seeing you do something that you think determines your success? Or your value. Oh, super quiet in here this morning. You see, fame requires the validation of others to determine its worth. You see, celebrities, celebrities, for the most part, and this is definitely not a sermon that's against celebrities, but for the most part, they don't trump their own fame. We put it on them. It's, it's. I mean, sure, they, they may have given val- permission to validate to, to those that watch movies or sport or whatever, but at the end of the day, we're the ones that put that value on them. Oh, so, many, so many of us are exhausted putting on a performance for the validation of others. We've given so many people the permission to place value on our lives. Like, I just... I can't help but think about uh, the way in which we, we operate in, this, in, in the realm of social media and we give strangers. We give, we give people who, who we are never going to see beyond the end of our high school years, we give them permission to validate us, to value us. The amount of likes we get from people who, are, who go to a different school or a different university or, or someone random who's friended us on Facebook, we give them permission. 
to attribute the value of our life. And so we, we get trapped in the validation cycle where we have to perform for their pleasure. We have to perform for their, their acceptance. We have, to, we have to put on a show that they see so they respond and say, you're awesome, you're great, like, love heart, thumbs up. And we take that and we go, oh, well, I must be valuable then. Let me put this question to you. Do you need the credit or do you pass the glory? I just want to, can I touch on something just to the side for a second? Is that all right? I really needed a funny story this morning and um, I didn't really have one. Um, so I'm really sorry about that. We just, we've hit like an intensity level and um, I just, I just, we need a breather. So... Just, here we go. <clears throat> Actually, I do have a funny validation story. I have a super funny validation story. Hands up, hands up in here if you are married. Where's everyone who's married, right? Now, if you're a husband, leave your hand up. If you're a husband, leave your hand up. Have you ever had one of those moments where you get like a little spurt of evening energy? Your spurt of evening energy, wife might be out, probably at a prayer meeting, and, um, <laughs> and you look around and you're like, dishes on the side, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pack the dishwasher, right? And you, you're like, you get up from the couch where you've been watching sport on the TV and a, and a second sport on your phone, or is that, that's just me. <laughs> and you're like, you go to work, right? And you, you, you know that your wife's love language is acts of service, and you're like, this, this is going to be awesome. And, uh, and so you, you, you go to the dishwasher, and you notice that it's full of, di- of clean dishes. And that in itself is discouraging, right? Because you thought you just had one task, and now you have two tasks. And you're like, I don't know if I really signed up for both things. I was hoping for either dirty dishes already in there or empty. Like, I was good to start with empty, but when it's full of clean, it is twice twice the work. It's like, anyway. And, and, and so you, you go, oh, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, so you unpack the clean dishes, you put them away, some of them in the wrong place, your wife can't find them for a week. And, and, and then, and then you, you, put the, you put the dirty dishes in and you, you clean the you wipe down, I have to say wipe down because clean uses a different product and I don't know where that product is. So, so I, cl- I clean the bench, no, I wipe the bench, I don't clean. We had, to, we had to define this early in our marriage. I don't clean, I tidy and there is a difference, right? I make everything look right and nice and there's no crumbs, but it's not clean. Apparently there is a big difference, all right? Anyway, so you pack the dishwasher, you, you wipe down the bench, you make the kitchen look immaculate, and then you go back to your sport, okay? Um, and, and, and you do that over a period of ad breaks. You don't ever do it all in one go and, um, because the sport is still just a little bit of priority when you have a night on your own. And then your wife comes home and you are sitting there, maybe already in bed because prayer meeting went late and the Holy Spirit was falling and moving and wife's getting all fired up. And... Um, and you're sitting in bed and you're waiting for your wife to come home and be like, oh my goodness, you clean the kitchen. That's, am- oh, you are amazing, <laughs> right? Right, you, you're looking for validation, right? I told you I've had a funny story. And the reality is you've done once what they do every day. 
I, like, there's so many great memes about it. I see them all the time. I'm like, oh, that's me. You know, like, it's the, the, the meme shot of the dad lifting up the trophy, and it's like, I unpacked the dishwasher once. You know, it's like, somehow we're... I'm not... I just... I, I get it. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's me. I mean... But it's, that's a funny story that articulates, you know, this whole, like, uh, you do something, you want it to be seen, you want it to be validated, right? In Matthew... In Matthew, we, we need to be really careful that when we read this, we understand that we're not reading principles. And I've said this before, we're not reading principles. We need to find the person in this. It's a person talking to people, right? If we, if we disconnect the, the, the relational, the people aspect from the Word of God, we end up with empty principles that we can't fulfill in our own anyway because we need the Holy Spirit. But, but what we do is we take Jesus' teachings and we make them principles and we separate them from Him. And it's a really bad way to read Scripture, right? Because if we're not careful, what we think is that, that, that Jesus is trying to replace one principle with another. We think that he is, he is going, don't do that, do this. And so now, now we get ourselves in a twist, right? Because now we're like, well, I can never pray in public. Because Jesus says, don't pray in public. So, we'll, well, what about when the pastors get up on the platform and they start praying and it's online? And aren't they praying in public? Isn't that what Jesus is saying not to do? Or we read the bit about giving and, you know, we're, not, we're never allowed to be generous in public, right? So, so now we're sneaking around trying to make sure that we abide by what we think is the principle Jesus is teaching. And so we don't even, we don't even have a freedom to be generous in public. And this is what we need to be careful about, right? Because, because Jesus is using practice to speak to heart. Jesus is always about heart. That's the whole premise of the new covenant is that he is, he is going, we had, like, there was all this practice, but I want to I get your heart. <laughs> I want to get your heart. And so he's like, all of this, this is surface practice. Let's talk about where your heart's at. Let's talk about where your heart's at when you're doing this. That's why, that's why he uses the practice to call them hypocrites, because a hypocrite is not necessarily just someone who does and says we should do something, but does something else, because everybody does that. A hypocrite is somebody who does something, but their heart is in a different place. And so we need to be really careful that we don't build new, la- new laws where there's supposed to be freedom. The new covenant is about freedom. We are free in Jesus. We can pray wherever we want, right? Let's not build new principles, new practices where there's supposed to be a freedom. We're supposed to be generous on every occasion. We're supposed to excel in generosity, right? You try doing that while, while, you, while, while you're not allowed to tell one side of your brain and the other side of your brain what you're doing, right? Don't talk, don't, don't let your left hand, your right hand. Like, like Jesus is just highlighting practice to speak to heart. And we just need to be aware of that and we need to be careful that we don't construct laws and practices where there's supposed to be freedom. We end up, we end up thinking that public prayer meetings aren't what we're supposed to do. Or, or, you know, if we get the opportunity to be able to give, give money to someone and we bring them into our service, you know, and we want to bless them. Oh, that's, that's public. You're not allowed to do that. No. <laughs> that's creating a principle where Jesus is trying to adjust a heart. That was my side teaching. Let's get back to fame. Fame, fame is, is, is about notoriety and achievement and it determines our value. And the issue with this is that it drives that whole bigger, faster, stronger, better, relentless wheel, 
right? Always got to be better than someone else. Always got to be stronger. Always got to be faster. Always got to do that better or be that more or, you know, and, 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 and it creates in us a striving and a driving to achieve so that we can somehow prove our value. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, many of us here this morning, watching online, many of us are stuck in this cycle. We're stuck in this pursuit. We have given permission to so many people to determine our value that we are stuck in a validation trap. We are stuck in a validation cycle. And look, I'm all about having people that you value speaking into your life. Don't hear that. I'm all about husbands and wives encouraging each other, speaking life over each other. Learn your spouse's love language. If it's words of affirmation, don't hold back in fear that somehow, you know, you, you, you're going to be valid. You know, don't, don't hear that. But for a lot of us, we are stuck because we've given permission to some other person, some, some anonymous stranger in the etherweb, right, to validate our value to determine our value, to, to place value on us. And this, this, is, this is ultimately why Jesus is so much better than, than fame, right? It's, so, it's just why Jesus is better, right? Because where we have given other people the permission and the power to give us value, it was Jesus' actions that have ultimately determined our value. You see, it doesn't come down now to what I do or I don't do that determines our value. It comes down to what he did that, 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 that forever has determined my value. Now it's not what other people think about what I do. Now it's not about what other people see me doing. It's because of what Jesus did that I know I'm valued. Now I'm not seeking value. Now I know I'm valued. Now I'm not seeking worth. I know I'm worthy. I'm not seeking uh, affirmation and adoration. I know I'm loved. I know God loves me because of what Jesus did. And suddenly it's like Jesus, Jesus knows me. He fully knows me. I am fully known and fully loved by him. No matter how I perform, no matter what I do. And, and, and this, is, this is the reality of the gospel and the reality of grace. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. I haven't earned that value. I was just given it. I haven't earned. I'm not worthy, but he determines that I'm worthy anyway. I'm not trying to be good enough. He looks at me and he's like, I have determined that you're good because of what Jesus has done. And so now there's no more striving. I don't need to earn his love. I don't need to earn his approval. I don't need to earn his validation. He gave it all before I did anything. And there's freedom and there's enjoyment. I can relax. I can relax. I don't have to keep striving and trying to to be approved by others. Suddenly I can receive purpose without pressure. I can can be known without, without needing notoriety. And now I have value without comparison. In the world, our performance proves our value, our worth, our significance, our importance, and fame is ultimately the fruit. We desire it to prove to ourselves that we are valuable and significant and important and valued. 
Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Because his death demonstrates that before we did anything for God, before we even knew God, we were worth it. We were worth it. Do you know you're the reason God sent his son? You're the reason. You can say that individually and we can say that corporately. We're the reason. We were worth it. We were worth his son's death on the cross. That's mind-blowing. Honestly, when you think about it, when you know yourself and you realize, oh my goodness, I know me and he knows me and he still thought I was worthy. Yes, that's why Jesus is better. Because he did. He looked at you and he goes, I fully know you, but I fully love you. Romans 5, 8 says this, that while we were still sinners, Christ proved his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want proof of your value? Look at the cross. That's all you need. Jesus hung there dying because you were worth it. There's your value. You are as valuable to God as him going to his son and saying, I need you to go. I need you to leave heaven. I need you to forever put on humanity. And I need you to die. That's how much it's going to cost me to buy them back. That's their value. That's their value to me. And that's your value to God. You are so valuable to Him. So valuable to Him. And you don't need to strive for it. You just need to receive it. That's the free gift of grace. We just receive we just have to get our head in a space where we can accept. You don't even need to understand. In fact, I don't think we ever will. We just need to accept that that's actually true. God actually loves me that much. I am that valuable to Him. We just need to receive from Jesus. And you know what? That's why He's better. That's why he's better. You know what happens when you realize this? I'm going way over time this morning. I'm going to apologize in advance. But we're going to go through this real quick. You know what happens when you realize this? Things change. Things change in your life. And very quickly, we're going to look at two disciples. And, and you know, I've got scriptures for the guys, but I'm not, I'm not going to put them back. I'm going, to, I'm going to paraphrase. You can go back, watch YouTube, get your Bible out. You, you can look at this, right? So, so the disciples have, the, we recorded in the Gospels of these two occasions. These two occasions in the Gospels where the disciples are arguing, who's the greatest, right? That doesn't sound like humanity at all. Uh, and I personally love that the disciples are real people, right? They're real. They've got real life, real issues. They're real humans. I relate, right? But they're like, who's better? Who's better, me or you, right? Like who does the most push-ups? Who can do the most chin-ups? Who's faster? Who's stronger? They're arguing about who's the best in the kingdom. Right, and the first time, actually let's start with the second time. The second time we're introduced, and it's not, it's not necessarily even them, right? Like it's their mum on their behalf, right? Because mums aren't competitive at all. Mums don't compare children ever, right? At all. No mum is on Instagram looking at someone else's kid wondering about their own parenting. That doesn't happen in real life, okay? Mum comes up to Jesus and she's like, hey, can my kids have right and left, your side on the throne? That'd be great because then, then I'm going to have something over my sister, you know. 
um, forever, for eternity, I'm going to be like, yo, my boy's got the side seats. Where are yours? Yeah? I know you guys don't do that. Right? But the funny thing is, that's recorded in Luke. That story is recorded in Luke, where they're arguing. It's in Matthew, it's in Matthew that we realise that it was, it was John's mum. Right? I love, I love that Matthew just throws that little extra in there. Right? This is like, hey, hey, that was, that was, that was John's mum that did that, just in case you're wondering. No mums ever do that in like little side conversations with their friends because it'd be gossip. We don't do that. Right? But Matthew gives us the context. And the truth is that, that that is the second time they're arguing about who's the best. The first time, the first time it's recorded, right? They're having this little argument. And I love it. Again, right? We get we get the 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 short account in Luke chapter 9, verses 46 and 47. You can look it up later. But then we get Mark. And Mark gives us this greater context, right? Because in Luke, we just kind of get the Jesus being like, hey, stop arguing. Look, like you're arguing about who's the greatest here. Let me get a kid who's done nothing and knows nothing, right? Like this is, this is the greatest because they totally trust in me. They get all their value just from their parents saying, you're amazing, right? Like some of us just need to know God, our Father, is looking at us saying, you're amazing, right? But Mark tells us that they're arguing the whole trip on the road. Right, and Jesus doesn't know, but Jesus gets in, and they're all like, all having this like, you know, imagine them around the table, right? They've just had this argument of who's best. That's never an awkward atmosphere at all, if that has been happening in your house, right? And Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm God, and I know what you were thinking, so let me explain to you who's the greatest. And he goes and gets a kid. I feel like that was a little like, I don't know where the child came from, but it's just. And you know what's interesting about this, right? If we look at this. In the first one, Matthew reminds us, hey, it was, it was John's mum that did this. And in the second one, we get this, we get this context from Mark. And, 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 and for those of us who have been under you know, the great teaching in this house over the last 25 years, we would know that Mark is written by someone called John Mark. And John Mark is, you could, you could almost describe him actually as, as like he did a lot of work with Paul. We know that. They had a little argument, a little tiff. Uh, but they, made, they, they resolved that, which is really great relationship advice, resolve it. But what we know about John Mark is that actually he writes Peter's account. I, I was reading some stuff the other night and, it, and some people are like, you could almost describe John Mark as kind of like Peter's disciple. But we don't necessarily use that sort of terminology, you know. Uh, we think about Jesus' disciples. But, but John Mark writes Peter's experience. And so now we get two really clear examples from John and from Peter about the fact that they were intricately involved in these arguments about who was the greatest, who was the best. They were there. They were in it. And I pick on these two. Why? Why, like why pick on Peter and John? Because it's in Peter and John that we see the shift. It's in Peter and John that we see the change. Because when we arrive at Acts 3, we leave the Gospels and we arrive at Acts 3. Do you want to know what we see? You can check later. You can watch on YouTube. Is we see Peter and John. And we see Peter and John going to the temple as was their custom. As should be our custom. And it says they met a beggar at the gate. And the beggar's like, hey. And they look at him and they're like, hey, so we, we, we don't have anything to give you. 
it's, it's no longer about us and how good we are and what we have and what we can do and our performance. Let me tell you what I do have. I've got Jesus. Let me point you to Jesus. Is it because it's not about me anymore? I've learned that it's not about what I can do and what I have and what I bring to the table. It's about Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And then if you read on further, you realize that John takes that opportunity. Peter takes that opportunity to address the crowd. You know what he says? I'm awesome. I raised that guy. I, I, I made him. No, he doesn't say that. He says, let me tell you about Jesus. Never once, never once does he point the camera lens on him to get validation from the crowd about what he did. You know, a few books ago, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And in Acts 3, they can't point to Jesus quick enough. They can't throw the glory quick enough. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He did it. You need to meet him. It's about him. And you know what I realized? I realized that that was after the death, the burial, and the resurrection. It was after John saw Jesus on the cross, and Jesus looked down at John. He's like, hey, look after my mom. And it's after Peter on the beach with Jesus. But Peter, who stuffed up, thought he was going to be the greatest, and then made the biggest mistake, right? How much can we relate to that? Areas in life we think we're the best, Turn out that we make some of the biggest errors. Jesus restores Peter on the beach eating fish and chips for breakfast. That'll preach. That's a diet right there. And you know what? They got it. They realized at some point, seeing his death, his burial, his resurrection, talking to him after he rose from the dead and realizing how much he loved them and how much he did it for them. And now he's saying, go Go and tell everybody about this. They realized, oh my goodness, he loves us that much. I mean, he told us, but now we've seen it. Now we realize it. Now we know he really loves us. They got it in their heart and they arrive at Acts 3 and they see an incredible miracle work through them and never once do they seek validation, approval. They're just free, point to Jesus. Never once was it about fame for them in Acts 3, but all through the Gospels, it was. It was about where they were going to get, where they were going to sit, who was better and who was greater, who was doing more. And the truth is they realized Jesus is better. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online. And you know you're stuck seeking this validation from other people. And you've never heard that you are fully known and fully loved by Jesus. You've never accepted the forgiveness that He gives to us and purchased for us. That's why it speaks of our value, because He purchased it with His death. And you've never entered into a relationship with Him where every day, every morning, every night, you can be reminded that He's for you and He loves you. I wanna tell you, you can do that right here this morning. You can accept Jesus and you can ask Him to come and live with you and ultimately give your life to Him. And it's real easy. 
We just need to acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he is. He's God's son. He came to earth. He died on a cross for you and for me so that we could be forgiven. Forgiven of what? Forgiven of the things that we've done wrong in our life in the eyes of God. Sometimes we do it striving for approval, right? Sometimes we cross lines. You just accept it. That's who he is. And then you confess, God, I have, I've done those things, but I I receive your forgiveness. Come into my life. And maybe that's you this morning. I wanna pray for you. So we bow our heads in this place, right across this place. Maybe you're at home. Why don't you just close your eyes? I don't know if you're gonna watch this later on a train or something. Just close your eyes. Just have a moment. And just say, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you love me. I didn't know you loved me that much. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. And I thank you for your forgiveness. God, I want to know you. I want to ask that you would come and live in my life. And God, I give my life to you. Amen.